Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 120 with my friend Lane Kennedy. You know, it's funny, I say 120 and I get excited about it, but we're at like episode 160 because that doesn't factor in the summer series or all the episodes Jenny Helms did in season two. It's just crazy. It's crazy, guys. Someone asked me what one of my favorite accomplishments from 2022 was. And you know what it was? It was hitting 22, no, that was the year, hitting 100 episodes, uh, 100 interviews. I thought that was really cool. A nice little uh, landmark, got a little celebratory poster. I'll post it. I'll post my poster so you guys can see it. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking to Lane Kennedy. Lane has such an interesting story. She is a former fashion model and... um, she is sober and she runs mindfulness yoga classes and really has a very interesting outlook on on her own life as well as the world in general. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So we're continuing this dry January series with someone in a very long-term sobriety. She got sober in 96. My friend, Lane Kennedy. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? Like, it's just a conversation, right? Yeah, a conversation about you. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll see how this goes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I typically like to start these off with how I know people. And uh, we first met in the the rooms of Clubhouse. Yep. uh, In the the sober world of, of Clubhouse. And now have a mutual friend and collaborator in Elise and the sober curator. Yeah. I like to think I don't know much about you um, outside of, outside of some highlights. (laughs) And so I want to, I want to go back in time if we can. Okay. Cause I know you're in Northern California. Um, Yes. Were you born in Northern California? I was born and raised in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, you know, most people in the bigger cities of California are transplants of some sort. Yes. Um, so walk me through that. Well, first, do you have siblings? I do. Where I are have, you in that order? Yeah, I'm the oldest. Okay. And then I have uh, a brother. My por- my parents divorced. And then I have step siblings as well. Okay. Uh, but it was really my brother and I growing up in a completely dysfunctional household uh just being wild mm-hmm. lots you... of video games atari yeah yeah i was lots of ho-hos and ding-dongs and fruit pies what's lots a of pepsi You're pepsi came on my... the scene and You're i was checking like all my boxes what's <laughs> <laughs> uh uh-huh. what's the age difference between you and your brother five years okay that's pretty significant it yep so do you remember him coming home yep. from the hospital? What? I was so sad. <laughs> I was so upset. No yes. longer the only child. Yes. I, yeah, because I was the number one important, right? Yeah. I, was the, I was the special one. And then it was all taken away from me. Did that turn into some childhood resentment towards baby brother? It, there was definitely some resentment. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really get over that resentment until my brother was in a, uh, near death. Yeah. Uh, car accident. Wow. Yeah. That'll do it. How old was he when that happened? Was that, uh, he was, was he was in high school. I want to say a senior or junior senior that time frame. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I, everything disappeared after that. I was like, Oh, okay. Wait a minute. Yeah. You mentioned your parents' divorce, and how old are you when your parents' divorce? Uh, I think I was 10. Okay. Yeah. How do you remember that experience? Because that's, that's always interesting to me. I was four when my parents divorced, so my brother was almost eight, and mm-hmm. so we have very different experiences of that. Time. Yep, yep. Well, my parents had this uh, behavior of coming together and separating, okay. and I'm a child of the 70s and 80s, So it was peace, love, and rock and roll, and we're going to be together, and then we're going to go live on a bus, and then we're going to be apart. And so there was, 
I didn't really know what was happening until the final, like, we are separating, we are getting divorced, it's over. Uh, and by that point, um, I was 10 and I remember my mother driving away in her car and I was standing, uh, you know, outside waving goodbye. That was, yeah, that was intense. And, and uh, it, you know, divorce papers and it was always females, girls always went with their mother and I did not want to go with my mother. So I was like one of the first children, like a big deal, a big case yeah. uh, of being, uh, I'm going to stay with my father. Yeah. I was going to ask his custody. I mean, yeah, especially the eighties and nineties, like yeah. unless your mom it was always murdered with their somebody. Yeah. yeah. It was just, you went yeah. with your mom. Um, mm-hmm. what, what was that like? Like how, how did that play out? Well, I didn't know anything at that time, right? Like I didn't know it, it was great for me. Um, I became a latchkey kid. I came and went as I wanted to. Uh, I started taking care of my brother, yeah. you know, it, he was five, I was 10. Uh, by the time I got into high school, I, you know, I was drinking, you know, like it was just a fat, it was fast adulthood. Yeah. So did mm-hmm. you just... Did you have like see your mom on the weekends or anything or was it just No. Okay, so no. it was just mom was gone. Mom was gone. I would see her uh during the summers. Okay. And I couldn't st- I just hated it. Okay. And yeah. so you just played the mother role. Just Yeah, like I stepped that. into that. Yeah. Pretty much. Um and then are you going downtown or anything like that? Like how close are you to the city and what influence does that play on you as a younger kid? It's h- huge. <laughs> Um, I loved getting in the car and going places with people and sometimes people that I wasn't supposed to be with. Uh, I, nobody was supervising me. Right. So by the time I was 13, I had a 16 year old boyfriend or 12, I was 12 and he was 16. So I was already in the car and on the move, Yeah, which was, um, you know, not the greatest. So I was very active yeah. as a young <laughs> adolescent. And th- I mean, this is a, even back then, like San Francisco is expensive. <laughs> What's not as bad as it is now, but yeah. I, what do your parents do? Or what did your dad do? I guess when you were living there, like for work. So, uh, electric, electrical, electrical, like in the electric trades, in the trades, <laughs> right. He was an electrician. He had a, a, his own company okay. and you know, there would be times when we had a lot of money and then there'd be times when we had no money. Yeah. It's feast or depends on work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you said latchkey, which love that. Mm-hmm. So many yeah. good memories of latchkey. Um, <laughs> I know. Right. It's just like mm-hmm. a very like unique, you either get it or you don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, when do you start like staying home alone with your brother and being the supervisor, which eventually I'm assuming leads to you like being like, I'm going to go do this instead. Yeah. Uh, that was like 11 years old. Okay. I was completely left alone. And then him. you're getting a 16 year old boyfriend at 12. You're going downtown. Yep. Do you start yep. drinking that early? Yeah. Like 12? Yeah. 12. Tell me about that. Wine cooler. <laughs> Wine coolers. Bartles and James. Oh, B and J. Um, yeah, my dad had a girlfriend who drank wine coolers and I just thought it was so, you know, she was so fancy and glamorized because my mom and dad would, you know, we would go to Golden Gate Park and we would, they would drink, we would, they would drink red wine and, and it was like, ooh, wine, ooh, right? Just, it, it didn't, I don't know, it was not great or Coors. Yeah. And uh, so when she came around, it was, these wine coolers and she would put them in the, in the glass and she would shake them, you know, <laughs> like she'd sift them and I'd just be like, Oh, mesmerized. So that was an early favorite wine coolers. Yeah. It's funny to think beer and wine, like the two most popular things that people drink are both acquired tastes. No one comes oh. out the gate and goes, this is fantastic. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. That's interesting. I did like my dad's beer, though. I remember him like really early on, like sharing his beer, like cans of beer with me. Yeah. Just, I don't know why he was doing that. I don't like 
but I do specific remember like holding the can, you know, I have little hands when I'm four or five years old yeah. and just like sipping it. <laughs> like, it's oh, that young. Yeah. That young. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember getting an O'Doul's when I was like eight, eight or nine. Like my buddy's uh-huh. dad gave me and my buddy an O'Doul's to split. Mm-hmm. And I, uh-huh. I remember just thinking like, why are we doing this? Like it tastes <laughs> right? awful. Like, we were just like passing it back and forth to one another. Um, yeah, gross. Not good. Um, and to this day, still not a fan of O'Doul's. Yeah. Um, no. So you're, I mean, what, what does that look like? You're, this is like main development years, right? This is junior high, high school, the time when like yeah. junior high especially sucks for most people. Um, and you're kind of, for lack of a better like, term, just getting into trouble, right? You're finding stuff oh yeah <laughs> um, oh yeah and what is that there were like, like dance parties and I was the one making out with people right just what does school look horrifies like horrifies me uh school you know every day going to school showing up uh, I wasn't the best student but I made sure to maintain B's like I knew that I had to have a B like I don't know where that came from <laughs> Uh, well, I think it came from my acknowledgement of, you know, well, that person got an F and they got in trouble, right? So I didn't want to get in trouble. Yeah. So I maintained that kind of B average and I played sports. Okay. So that was really important for me to be on the sports team. Yeah. I was super athletic. Which feels and- counterintuitive to the... Drinking and partying, and well, I mean, maybe not. <laughs> I guess if you think of some sports teams in college or in high school, it's that's involved. But when everyone's doing it, Justin, it's like, yeah. hey, right? Like all exactly. everybody was drinking, right? My boyfriend was drinking, so it was fine. He was a football player. What uh, what sports did you play? So I did volleyball, okay. I did track, and I did swim team. How much of that was just to not be in the house? Oh, one hundred percent, all of it. Okay, all of it. Uh, soccer all, all I just did not want to be home I did like the less time at my house the better off yeah and do you have any sort of plans or ideas for the future at that point like in, when you're in high school college or anything like that no plans okay nothing when I got into high school there were n- nothing on the horizon I had no idea what I was doing and I remember somebody saying this is going to be the best years of your life I thought what are you talking about I hate this yeah yeah Mm-mm. uh and you mentioned like not liking going over to your mom's or, or seeing your mom in the summer yeah. what's your relationship like with your dad when you're a teenager and he's dating and yeah it was you know he was pretty busy and i was left alone and he had this woman that he had you know dated and then became um she became my stepmom and our relationship really revolved around her like she became the authority and she drank a lot and she would be very sloppy and messy and uh there were drugs in the house and it was almost just like bullshit like your life is bullshit yeah how old Uh, were you when he remarried uh i think it was mm, 13, 14 in that okay. zone. So like right know. starting in high school. Yeah. 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 Um, you mentioned drugs in the house and I'm curious just given how you described your parents' relationship and, and living on buses and stuff was, yeah. were there just always drugs in the house throughout your childhood or did that? Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, that che- checks out San Francisco yeah. living in buses. Yeah. <laughs> Compl- it was just a part of the culture. Yeah. Whole, you know, like, yeah. Everybody. Were, the, were your parents just hippies or was it just like a 100%. Okay. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, there's some generic counterculture. there, so Wasn't sure. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, I think they started off that way. And then there was this realization of, Oh, I have a daughter. I have a child I need to support. Yeah. And they kind of moved away from that kind of free love and style. But there was, there was definitely, um, you know, rock and roll and cocaine and like, there, again, it's a, the culture. We call it the eighties, like, Yeah, that's <laughs> that's it. That's it moved into that quickly. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It you feels know? like people of that generation 
that were like hippies in the 60s -hmm. and into the 70s like if you wanted to maintain that lifestyle come the 80s like you better embrace coke and clubs (laughs) you better embrace it and that's uh that's a bummer (laughs) real big bummer yeah so Mm -hmm. you're in high school playing sports staying away from Mm -hmm. home stepmom's not not great um no and how are you still with this guy that's four years older than you or are you just about? Uh, in high school, yeah. often, often for the first maybe year I was, okay. maybe year and, and a half. Graduates, I'm guessing. And then, yeah, he's kind of out of the picture and he, he had a reputation and I didn't want that reputation. And uh, I found, I found my true love you know, at that time, my high school love, yeah. my high school love, you know, like I felt like oh, yeah. I found, you know, somebody who I just was like, wow, he understands me. And then I kind of like moved in with him and his family. Um, While you were still you know, in high so, school? Like I was always there, yeah. you know, yeah. always. Like yeah. I was like a permanent fixture. I have to imagine, I, I had friends like that and I, I have to imagine the parents get it, right? They're like, oh, this kid does not so. want to be home. <laughs> yeah, I think like, I, I don't think have she kids, got but it. I imagine they, yeah. But here's the crazy thing. That was a crazy Household. I know I'm not supposed to use the word crazy. That was the strange household because at the time his dad was murdered what? and there was a big like upset and who killed him and come to find out it was the mother. Like so his wife, the dad's house, wife? I was living in a house with my boyfriend with a murder. yes and it was it was like happy pie in the sky she would make us dinner oh man Mm -hmm. okay we're gonna shift this entire episode into a true crime (laughs) podcast (laughs) it was wild oh now i want to know everything about that um (laughs) i digress i will i will resist lane yeah um so then what happens after high school after high school, I, you know, well, I graduated early and nobody knew about it. Um, I started going to college. I took, started taking college courses. I got a scholarship and. Well, what, what, let's back up there. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. uh, you hit a lot of stuff that I'm curious about. I graduated early and no one knew about it. What is that? What does that yeah, mean? Yeah, I graduated. I, I graduated early. I graduated from high school early. I graduated my junior year. Did you, you kept it a secret though? Or mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. I kept it a secret because I wanted to live my life and nobody cared. Right. You have to remember my dad is absent. Yeah. I have a stepmother who doesn't really care about me. So I, I was like, they don't care. It doesn't matter. Who, like there's nobody to celebrate this. Yeah. Like, and I already have the mentality of like, I'm an adult. I'm going to do this on my own. So, and, uh, and I'm only, asking because earlier i was like what were you did you think about the future at all and now you're saying you graduated early and then started college so where does Mm -hmm. where does that flip go from like i don't care to like i gotta do this this and this because i realized that if i earned money and a certain amount of money i could do what i wanted to welcome to america money was a money was (laughs) a money's a vehicle to get things that i want and to live the way that i want yeah so I was fortunate enough to fall into a career where I could make good money. What did you yeah. end up doing? I ended up modeling. Okay. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> if you do it well, you can, you can definitely make a lot of money in that field. Yeah. Um, and you're at how old when you start modeling? Uh, teen, 18. Okay. So are you, you graduated early, you start taking college mm-hmm. courses and then you mm-hmm. get a job modeling while you're yep. doing college. Yep. And then I'm going? making more, more money than my dad was making. Right. So yeah. I just, just, it didn't, um, yeah, my life just kind of propelled me forward Tell me, without this my is, permission. This is the nineties, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me about modeling in the nineties. Oh my God, it was great. Great. Go on. So great. 
it was so great and glamorous and it was all the things that you would think it would be it, the parties, the people, the beauty, the fashion. I mean, at the time, you know, I laugh at shoulder pads and big hair, but at the time it was just great. Yeah. It's great. What kind of modeling did you do? Uh, I did body modeling. Okay. I did clothing modeling. I did commercial modeling. Uh, I did in-house uh, couture modeling. Was this all based, because you're already in a big city, was this all based in San Francisco, or did you travel at in all? In San Francisco and Los Angeles. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you end up moving down to Los Angeles, or was it just going down there for work? Uh, I did both, but then I eventually moved down there. How long were you down there I, for? Uh, I was down there for about 10 years. So oh. 11, 12 years. Yeah. All right. Let's go to, let's mm-hmm. go to L.A. <laughs> and what is this? <laughs> let, I mean, what's happening in the background here? with drinking drugs uh i mean relationships I'm, I'm drinking uh i'm happily drinking uh there aren't a lot of consequences with my drinking yeah. except for my health okay you know and i don't really think that's a consequence at the time until that's good until, to be until the, naive towards, in your 20s <laughs> yeah right yeah. it's like there's no limit when you're 20, right? It's yeah. like, just go. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of people and in Los Angeles, uh, I, you know, I, I dated both men and women. Okay. And so then I ended up with somebody who was, well-known in the music world and you know it was kind of a head trip for me because she was like more popular like in this weird way more popular than me and I didn't really like that but we we drank together we used together uh we traveled together you know she would go on the road and it, it just became really messy you know this is again the 90s and I don't know. It was, it was, a, it was kind of a wild time. Yeah. When, what is the, when do you start dating women? I start dating women. Like how old are you? Uh, I, I want to say my mid, early mid twenties. Okay. And I ask cause I've like, I've talked about, um, my own experience with people of today's generation mm-hmm. <laughs> that are mm-hmm. just like, what's the big deal? And I'm like, you know, yeah, there's no big deal. <laughs> and, but when you go back to like the nineties, early two thousands, I mean, if you go back even 10 Huge. years ago, there's yeah. so much stigma built in. So Huge I'm just problem. curious, like, yeah, what, what, that, what does that look like in your, in your mind? Like what's that thought process? Mm-hmm. Where do you, mm-hmm. where do you find comfort in, in it? Yeah. Well, it was really, it was really hard because when I was in seventh or eighth grade, I had an experience with a classmate and I didn't know what was happening. Right. I didn't even know, like what is going on here. And then I had another incident when I was probably maybe 14, 15, right in there with another classmate. And I thought, this is very strange. Yeah. And, my mother had a gay friend and one summer they she took us to this commune it was a gay compound and that was my association with gay being gay was men i didn't understand that women could be gay as well or have you know and so I just had this like, oh, I don't want to be gay. That's crazy. Like that, that, the, that is, I don't want to be walking around naked with people. Cause again, that was what I associated yeah. with is being on this compound with music and people were getting high and that is not where I wanted to go. So when I was, uh, in my early, whatever twenties and I met this woman I ended up at a gay bar and it was like a gay disco and it was just loud and fun and I was drinking and it just, it literally just happened. There wasn't any thought process around it of like, Oh, I'm going to do this yeah, <laughs> or this is who I should be with or anything. It just happened. Was yeah. there some like instilled shame from those early experiences? 
for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what do I do with this? Yeah. Like, and I imagine you see it as this. either you're gay or you're not, right? There's no, there's right. no bisexual. There's no. Right. Yeah. Right. But I was one of the first people to like kind of step out and be, I'm, I like both men and women. So what's the problem? Yeah. Like later on in my life as I developed, cause it was either you're going to be gay and you're going to be with the lesbians and the dykes. Yeah. Cause that was, that was a real problem if you suddenly liked men, but you had already been with a woman and identified as being gay, that was a head trip. Like you were betraying your own kind or something. Oh my God. Yeah. Big. There, there was more uh, trauma around that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm curious with the modeling, did you have to deal with any like health issues as far as eating disorders or anything like that? Or uh, 100%. 100% eating disorder. I know. It typically comes <laughs> with the territory. I just don't like to assume. <laughs> 100%. If somebody says they don't have an eating disorder, <laughs> let me ask them. <laughs> let, me, let me have them all the time. Every, 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 every person I know in the fashion industry has an eating disorder. Do you think reflecting back that that was, you were kind of almost primed for that? Because, you know, a lot of eating disorders are based around uh, you, you have something to control and you grew up in a household where you didn't have that control it sounds like you were always kind of going out and trying to find yes. that in something yes. um, and then obviously you're in the modeling business so you have a physical image that you want to mm -hmm. um, keep a certain way like to the to the eighth of an inch i had to keep my body that's wild it's so binging and purging became you know like a part of just reality because i could not lose the shape of my body yeah right so that was really hard with drinking because, because I would get puffy like, I, and I would have to plan things. Like I knew that there was something coming up and I would plan, I, I need to get cocaine. Like I'd have to buy drugs to be able to make that happen by that date. There's a lot of, a lot of planning. Yeah. It's organiz organization in the worst kind of way. Yeah. The worst yeah. way. Yeah. The worst. <laughs> Yeah, I get that. let's see. I gotta. If I'm gonna be drunk by four, I have to be high by yeah. nine. Oh, yeah, um, the yeah. worst. So that last. And I still struggle. Yeah. So I still struggle with food. Okay. Like I don't struggle with alcohol. I struggle with food. Yeah. And they they live in the same world. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Food's just. Uh, I think. You know, there's a lot of arguments to be made about food being worse because it's a necessity you have to eat yeah. you know yeah um, it's really hard and that's i think that's really i have a lot of friends that like in the therapy world that specialize in eating disorders and mm. that's a that's a tough one it's a scary one as someone that's going into that field like that's a that's a scary mm. one to uh, have a client that that has because yeah uh, and they're like they're also based on a lot of things i didn't mean to generalize either when i was like you know control and everything it's just a very common mm -hmm. theme with with eating disorders um yeah. and i had like addict to addict i like control is a common theme with a yep. lot of things so, um kind of branching into that i guess so mm -hmm. you're you're modeling you're in a relationship mm -hmm. with with this musician mm -hmm. um what takes you out of la what what kind of calls it quits there or... uh 9-11 happened okay yeah how did that 11 happened you got you in la and your career and everything yeah, I just, 9-11 happened. I was working. I woke up that morning with my roommate screaming. I was dating this guy. And uh, it, it was just such a heavy day. And he showed up at my door and said, hey, you want to get a puppy? And I was like, what? It, it was just such a weird like we were kind of dating, but not really. We hadn't fooled around, but it was like, just like, what are we doing? And it was like, almost like he wanted to solidify our relationship by going and getting a puppy or something. And I was like, okay, something is wrong with the world here on, on so many levels. And you want to go look at animals. And, uh, I just, I was like, I got, I got to get out of here. And so a month, I think that happened September, October, November. So, I had Thanksgiving that year and 
I'm sober. And I told everybody at Thanksgiving that I was leaving the country. We had a huge Thanksgiving dinner with a bunch of friends. And I was just like, I got to go. And I left the country. Is that what most of your Thanksgivings were after you left high school? Was it friends instead of family? Or the family yeah. you choose instead of the family you... <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%. Okay. Yeah. 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 Whether you are participating in dry January, or maybe you're just a sober person listening, or maybe you're not sober, you're not participating in dry January, and you just need a little bit of something to break up all the drinking, I have some great news. I am working with a brewery called Wellbeing Brewing, and all they do is non-alcoholic craft beer. Talking IPAs, ambers, wheats. They have some of the best selections out there. You can get it all at wellbeingbrewing.com. And you can use code FRIENDREQUEST to save 10%. So you can go grab your order. I recommend the Intentional IPA, which is like their flagship IPA. It comes in 16-ounce cans. Delicious. I'm a big fan of it. It's got a nice copper color. And then they have a Hellraiser Dark Amber. Um, I personally don't think it's very dark, but it's it's good standard amber. So if you like... You know, like the lager, lager flavor with like a little more roast in it. Um, I'm a big fan of that amber too. So check out their whole selection. Save 10%. Go to wellbeingbrewing.com slash friend request. Or you can just use friend request as your promo code at checkout. Ooh, try doing both. See what that works like. Maybe you'll get 20%. That won't work. Don't listen to me. That's, that's not going to work. But check it out. Wellbeingbrewing.com. Use code friend request at checkout to save 10%. Here's your episode. And then before we get to you leaving the country, where, uh, you said you were sober at that point. When do you decide to get sober? What's, what's the catalyst there? The woman that I was, that we were, you know, like we were on our way to this perfect happy ending of a relationship uh, she went on the road and some things happened and it just, just wasn't great. And I didn't know what to do. I, I just, I don't even know it. It, I just know that I had to get like something had to change and we ended up quitting drinking. Oh, you did it together. Yeah. Okay. You think that together. was the reason you, or one of the reasons you were able to do that? Because um, you had a partner in doing so? Uh, maybe. <laughs> did you guys do like a program or you, were you just like, we're both quitting and kind of relying on each other? No, we went into 12 step. Okay. okay. Yeah. We found 12 step uh, and it just worked. It stuck. Yeah. It stuck for me. It didn't stick for her. But you were able to do that in Los Angeles. Yes. <laughs> like, I, I, there's just something to be said there to go. Um, like, I, I feel I have an advantage I always kind of discuss as far as location triggers, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, the house I'm in right now, I've never drank mm -hmm. it. Because um, mm -hmm. we, we just ended up moving, like, at the same time. And so, I've like, there's no area of this house that I can go to and be like, Oh, like that one time I was, you know, wasted or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. and I think it's so like, it's such a big deal. And I, mm -hmm. I think people disregard location when they think about getting sober and I I've lived in Los Angeles and I don't know how mm -hmm. you party the way you partied and then go there and mm -hmm. be like, and now we're sober here. Um, yeah, it, it was tough for a while. Yeah, It was tough driving down, you know, uh, Fairfax, it was tough driving, you know, uh, it, it, certain neighborhoods. Yeah. Right. I couldn't go to this Mexican restaurant named Merrick's because of the margaritas and the chips and the guacamole. I couldn't go there. I couldn't even drive by it. Yeah. I'd have to find a different, you know, path. Uh, but we found, we just, we really huddled together for the first two years of our recovery and created a new life for ourselves so grateful for what we found and the community that kind of built around us uh yeah it was really it was a really cool time 
Um, what year is that? You get sober? 96. You've been sober ever since? Every every day. Well, yeah. screw you, Elaine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's remarkable. Um, so fast forward then again. 2011, yeah. or 2001 happens, September 11th. Thanksgiving, yep. you say I'm leaving the country. Yep. yep. Um, what, where, where do you go? And also, yeah. I'll tell you what. Of all the things to want to do after 9-11, I feel like leaving the country is is not on many people's list. Like this, there was such right. a, a unity Everybody of like America insane. now. Also, yeah. like no one wanted to get on an airplane for a very long time. So mm-hmm. where do you go? Why do you do it? <laughs> yeah, everybody thought I was absolutely insane. But I thought it was the most sane thing to do. Like I did not want to be a part of this country. Yeah. I did not want to be in Los Angeles. I did not. I just. N- nothing felt right. And so I ended up in Bangkok and I fell in love with that city. I fell in love with the people. Very different. Very different. Uh, I had, you know, I had a pretty good bank account, so I just lived. I didn't have to do anything except immerse myself into recovery. I found recovery there. I helped recovery there. Uh, I worked for an NGO and did a lot of work there. I worked with the um, the ambassador to the to Myanmar. Uh, I I just got involved with life. Yeah. Wow. Um, in the thinking, like you lived pretty solely on the West Coast, and then. You know, going going anywhere from just California is going to be some sort of culture shock. But yep. Bangkok, I imagine, is... Oh, it was heavy. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a 10,000-pound building fell on my head. Yeah. It was like, what? A 10,000-pound yeah. building of your own desire. <laughs> yeah. Um, wh- <laughs> Why Bangkok? Why not? That's Literally, not an answer. Was- <laughs> Did it, you spin it, a globe and just wait until your fingers much. stop? Pretty much. There was a woman that uh, I was hanging out with, my uh, a friend, not somebody I was sleeping with. And she said, you know, I want to go ride elephants. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Where can we do that? And Thailand came up. Yeah. yeah. So, that's fair. Thailand. Thailand it became. I came to L.A. three and a half years after you left L.A. Hmm. <laughs> um, did, did a lot of the same shit you were already talking about. Yeah. Modeling primarily, obviously. Uh, no, uh-huh, <laughs> none uh-huh. of that. Uh, <laughs> did you model at all after you got sober or was that like off the table? Yeah. I stopped doing? modeling about, uh, I stopped modeling, I think maybe now 10 years. It's been 10 years. So my kid, yeah. Okay. 10 years. Mm-hmm. How was, uh, we'll get out of LA eventually, I promise. But how was, how was, <laughs> How's modeling newly sober? Because that's got to be, you know, avoiding Mexican restaurants, one thing, but like mm-hmm. everything's wrapped mm-hmm. up in that. Everything was wrapped up in it. And it was, it was great. My career changed. Uh, I really, I had this wonderful agent, this really great agent. And she just kind of, sh- she was always there. And he, her husband were always there for me to kind of guide me in you know cl- with clients yeah. and it, it worked out i ended up getting two major accounts guess being one of them where it was just regular steady that was it so it seemed like i was always working but i only had like a two, two or three accounts yeah and, and it just kind of t- took care of me for the first couple of years i imagine it was a lot more work and a lot less socially so socializing. Correct. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly. Okay. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Avoid, avoid the problematic areas and keep the, mm-hmm. keep the job mm-hmm. going. Um, side note, I'm curious, just given the mm-hmm. time frame, if at some point in a different life, we knew some of the same people. Cause I worked on America's next top model for three seasons. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so like, uh, I met a lot of people in that industry through like the mm-hmm. guest judges and the makeup people mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just the time frame. I thought that would be mm-hmm. a funny thing. We'll have to compare notes one day. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Bangkok. How long are you in Bangkok for? I was there living in city proper for seven months. Okay. And then, and then I would go back every, every couple of months I would go back. Where do you come back to the States when you come back? Where do you stay? So I landed back in Los Angeles and then I immediately moved to uh, Boulder, Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why not? Why not? Yeah. yeah. I, I needed a different pace. I knew that I didn't want to be in LA. I was done with LA. Oh yeah. I would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're going to put me somewhere, especially sober, I will take Colorado over Los <laughs> Angeles any day of the week. Yeah. Uh, and then how long are you in Boulder for? And what are you doing while you're there? In you, Boulder, I, mean, you I was just still modeling then. I was, I was literally just living. Uh, I had just written a book. Just written a um, book? Bearing the I lead. Started, What's your, yeah, what, was, I just, what was your book? Uh, that book was Troubles of Being a Girl. And so I wrote it when I was in Bangkok. And then I just kind of let it sit. And then I finished it when I was in Colorado. And I was dating this incredible incredibly hot man and I was also dating this woman and and it was just messy it was just I was like uh let's see I was seven eight years sober and it was just messy it was just messy yeah I'm curious with all the relationships you've talked about so far mm-hmm. how much of your parents relationship dynamic played into those relationships Mm, I don't think much. Uh, I wasn't the one. Back I wasn't the one to come and go. Okay. Um, I was pretty solid. The people that I attracted were not so solid. Yeah. You did you attract? But the I come had. And goes? I had made a conscious decision to not be like yeah. my parents. So in that way, has <laughs> had yeah. a big impact. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's that seems to be the route, right? We're either exactly like it or yeah. exact opposite of it, because so we yep. so we don't, be, yeah, yeah, in in yep. every way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, how I'm sorry, you have two kids, one one kid, mm-hmm. and how old? He's thirteen. Okay, so where are we at timeline wise? being in boulder and you finding yeah, I'm not your even, partner um, <laughs> fast forward uh let's see i always have to do the math <laughs> so i'm 25 take away 13 or i was 15 when i met my husband so that's the math you're 15 when you met your husband 15 sober <laughs> 15 ah. years sober when I met my... It's <laughs> like, wait a second. Is that right? Maybe, no. No, I was 10 years sober. Is that right? Oh my God. See, I can't even do that. A couple years after the messiness. <laughs> yeah, it was a couple years after the messiness. So no, I was 10 years because he came with me and I took a... Yeah, I got a chip for that. So that was 10 years. Okay. Yeah. How do you meet your husband? Oh God, through this wild online dating scenario that was I was like oh I'm gonna try this and like horrible this is early online dating if my math is correct yes (laughs) early it was like no there were no apps right it's all online and it's just a horrible experience does it freak you out to think of how people date online now (laughs) now no it's no big deal and I knew back then that it was going to be no big deal that's why I did it like I was so kind of tuned into the computer that it didn't bother me. Like I already had a vision that this is where we would be living. Is there something that happens that makes you decide like I'll do online dating? Cause I imagine blonde model in your twenties and thirties, like <laughs> finding a date <laughs> isn't, isn't very difficult. So what... you know, at that time, at that time, uh, I worked a lot. Yeah. And it was also the time of, mm, there were a lot of shady things happening here in San Francisco. Um, Like what? There were just a lot of, like the tech boom was happening. And so. 
Oh, just like business-wise, there was a lot of shady stuff happening? No, just in the dating world, there was just weird things happening. Weird parties, hookers and drugs. Okay. It was a weird time. Stuff you wanted to avoid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, this will all go online and find somebody to date. And I tried, and I went on a couple dates, and it was horrible. It was just a horrible experience. And then I met, and then my last date was my husband. Okay, I'm curious about like, your. I'm done with this. I'm curious about your you your self described affinity for technology, um, and how. What? Well, because so, I often have this theory that mm-hmm. I'm kind of this last, like, piece of a generation to be good at technology because my brother's three mm-hmm. years older than me and mm-hmm. I would be surprised if he could log into his email without assistance. And there's just, there's a lot of people in that realm and obviously things have gotten better um, and easier and zoom has like this pandemic as crappy as, yep. as it has. Yep. People have learned how to do stuff because they yep. have to. Um, but growing up without computers mm-hmm. for the most part, um, a lot of people have found it hard to like assimilate into that. And I imagine just living the life you've described, I don't know what role technology plays in that. And so how do you, how do you get to the point where you're like, no, you know about dating apps or websites mm-hmm. and, and you're comfortable with technology in that way at that age. Is that, is that a weird question? <laughs> Well, I think so in my career, right, I, because I was in fashion, fashion was cutting edge. Like it's always been, it's got to figure out and um, it's got to uh, morph and change and it's got to get into the world. So how are they going to do that? And so I I was kind of always involved with that somehow. And then, uh, It, it, it's just been, it's always been just a part of me. Yeah. I don't know. I had a vision early, early into my life about technology. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, did I've you find yourself it. on the other side of the camera in that way a lot during your what do you mean? modeling career? Like, I mean, the way you describe it as far as fashion being cutting edge and, and being a, technologically advanced in that way mm-hmm. i imagine it's a lot it's a lot easier right to just stay in front of the lens and mm-hmm. let them worry about that mm-hmm. but it sounds like you might have taken a more active role in looking at that stuff yes i because i was with the musician okay right enough said. technology <laughs> it's, it's all yeah. again it's all kind of woven in to make me who i am like yeah. every piece of it we can go back to when I was in high school with that first love, right? Really into technology and what, what he was doing. Okay. And at the time we didn't know what we were doing. We were just figuring, you know, playing game. Right. So then, you know, go to her and understanding that when she got pro tools or something on the, right. There was like, Oh my God, she can manipulate sound and do things. Yeah. And then, creating um what's his name Derek Sivers with uh CD baby and then having that CD come out right like there was I was always right there with these people yeah and so it just kind of brought me with it it just yeah it's a a good wave to be a part of I was in the wave. Yeah. Yes, I was in the wave. Definitely. In and a so good location when you it. talk about dating, like Tim Ferriss was on that site being shady. Right. And I was like, uh, <laughs> All right. and that's back in the day. Like, yeah. And we don't really know what's happening. We're just all a part of it doing it. Yeah. 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 There's plenty of ways to be shady on the internet. Um, yeah. <laughs> And not that Tim Ferriss, I'm not saying that Tim Ferriss is shady. No, I that's know. what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, no, that's a, the sound bite. That's what God, great. That's what I, just what I need. Oh, 
I'm going to let you in on a secret. Tim Ferriss does not listen to this podcast. <laughs> but Tim, if you are listening, let everybody know. Um, so you meet your husband. You yeah. guys meet online. You, you, it's, it's, how long are you together before you get married? Uh, two years. Okay. Yeah. And then the wedding and then the child i mean walk walk me through walk me through this last yeah we're married so we're, i mean <laughs> we're together we're having a great time uh you know i wasn't quite sure because he's not in recovery he's not an alcoholic he drinks he has a life um he is successful in his own world yeah uh that's got to be attractive to you though like the self-sufficiency because I yes. imagine that was something that you wanted for yourself so bad when you see that in others. That's probably a very attractive yeah. trait. Very much so. I didn't have to worry about him. I didn't have to take care of him. Yeah. Just, I could just show up. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> Not uh, bad at all. Were you dating yeah. sober people primarily before that? Or were you just dating whoever you connected with? Or? I dated who I connected with. Okay. Yeah, at that point. Okay. Um, before we move forward, I don't want to yes. see so this is the problem with timelines lane. Okay. Um, we got to go. Okay. What? <laughs> no, I, I'm curious, uh, your brother car accident, your guys' relationship, like what? Cause based on what you told yeah. me, I mean, at that point you're, you're in LA, you're modeling. Yeah. Yeah. So our relationship, it, it's always been pretty solid, uh, in the sense that we know that we love each other, that we're there no matter what. Yeah. But we've also just let each other go and do our lives. It's not until the pandemic when I said, I need to see you and we need to be together. And he was like, yes, now. What triggers that? Uh, the world ending? Uh, not any, nobody knowing what the heck, you know, COVID was going to be about. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I guess, you know, a lot of people can have that separation from, I mean, I'm, speaking personally I think because mm -hmm. I uh there was no part of me that was like I gotta figure out how to get to Houston and see my brother <laughs> after the Got pandemic it. so the, I'm wondering like what was that was there some sort of catastrophizing thought or or what was it some like childhood resolution you needed to fix like what what drove you to want to see him during the pandemic I think it was the same kind of uh when the pandemic hit, I wanted to go back to Los Angeles and be with my sober family. So I, you know, found them on zoom immediately. I was oh, okay. like one of the, so it, there's this sense of going back to what I know and what I know loves me. Is it, does did that stem from like a, a sort of loneliness? loneliness in the sense of not having people around me loneliness in the sense of well it, it sounds like you're reaching out to the people you had lost a little bit of connection with and the trigger of that was the pandemic and during mm -hmm. the pandemic whether you lived with people or not i think everyone kind of found themselves a little lonely in a way they yes. weren't really used to yes 100 percent. okay yeah like i'm used to having a very active life yeah. with people Right. So all of a sudden I'm forced to sit in these walls with two other beings that I'm with all the time. And I'm like, Oh, this and is not yourself. <laughs> I'm not used to this. Yeah. I'm okay being with myself. Yeah. It's, it's being able to bounce around with other people who, uh, there's a, I don't know. There's a sense of my brother and I, you know, would, have spitball fights, right? There's a sense of like, I'm going to love you no matter what. Not that my, my husband and my son don't love me no matter what, but yeah. there's just a sense of like, um, DNA love. Like yeah. you can't, well, you've been in the trenches together too. Yeah. 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 Um, so, and I think that's the same for going back to my LA sobriety roots. It's like back to the trenches. Yeah. What about your parents? Um, what happens with the relationship with your parents when you get sober? Uh, I, I fixed it. I, you know, uh, showed up and I was a daughter and 
was, you know, did everything that I could to make things right after the lying and, you know, not being a really great daughter. Uh, and then they're both out of my life now. Okay. Was there some people, you know, it's like I had to change Yeah. and I had to take care of me Yeah. where, so I changed. Some people never change and they didn't change. Yeah. Was there ultimately a forgiveness before removal? Me forgiving them? Yeah. Them forgiving me. I mean, I guess both. <laughs> I'll take both answers. Uh, yeah, I think there's a sense of I was able to forgive them for that early, the early years. Yeah. And now there's a, I am in a place of neutrality. Um, I know we're hitting the hour, so I want to, <laughs> I want to, um, make sure I fast forward a little bit and talk about some of the stuff that you're doing right now. Cause, okay. uh, you have, you are one of the people I know that has a lot going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I know what you have the podcast, you, you do some writing, but what, what mm-hmm. else do you have going on right now? Uh, I think the podcast is my biggest kind of tool. Well, I'm teaching too right now because we're going back into person. So I'm doing a lot of teaching, which is nice. And where do you teach? In the city here in San Francisco. What, like at a school? No, I teach, uh, well, I teach meditation and mindfulness class. Oh yes. I I go to different facilities. This is how I met you. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah. In that world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's gotta be nice. So nice. (laughs) Oh my God, it's so great. People again in that, in that space. (laughs) I love it. Uh, And then the podcast, Now What Society? The Now What Society. Yeah. It's super fun. Yeah. Can you explain to listeners what, what that is and who it's for? Yeah, I think it's for, uh, it's mainly for women who are stuck in their lives, you know, especially after this pandemic. I mean, there's a lot of the women just waking up going like, oh my God, I've been doing the same thing every day. I'm stuck in my life. What the heck? And so I have a co-host, Tamar Medford, and we just, uh, we talk about things that women usually don't talk about, you know, things that are a little spicy or things that are very, uh, just hard to talk about. So that's been a lot of fun. And we have a community that's, also available where we can go into deeper conversations or uh, we have a book club. I don't know. It's just fun. It's fun for me. Good. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm, I assume everyone can get that anywhere, right? Apple, Spotify, all that good stuff. Yeah. Yes. All of it. All that fun stuff. Um, well, that's exciting. And I, I know we breezed over like you're married and have a child. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I do want to ask marriage is hard. I mean, marriage is hard. Being a mother's hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, that was not on my agenda when I was so like, that was like, I had, I had a really great life. I have a great life, Yeah. but that wasn't the direction that I thought I was going in. So sometimes I really struggle with that. Like, Oh my God, I'm a mom. Oh my God, I'm a wife. Oh my God. I have to be still. Right. Cause I'm in the motion. Like I love to like do things and go, Yeah. but you know, these two beings like lock me down, (laughs) (laughs) which can be a gift, you know, really. Um, I'm super grateful. I wouldn't change it at all. Uh, and I think that's one of the things about living in recovery where I get to recover from my own grief around that. And sometimes there's sadness that I have to address like, Oh wow, this is, this is my life. Cool. Um, the last thing I want to ask you is, is kind of on that note. And that's Mm -hmm. something I ask a lot of people, especially in long-term recovery is that where's the decision that that's part of who you are. It's part of your identity. It's part of the work you do is, is being in recovery, being sober, um, as opposed to like, oh, I've just, you know, I haven't used or drank or whatever in X amount of years. And that's just like something that happened and I do all this other stuff. Instead, you know, you and other people we know embrace that as like, that's part of who I am. 
where does that come from and and why why do you do it so i don't think it, it it's evolved over the years justin it's when you don't drink a day at a time for many many years it just becomes a part of your life and identity i don't drink right i, I don't drink i think when the pandemic hit there was a decision made i made a decision to allow other women to see me as a sober woman okay. on a more global aspect. Right. Uh, I started sharing about it more because so I didn't more want, yeah, I didn't want other women to suffer. Yeah. Right. Like, again, I didn't know what was going to be happening during pandemic time, but I did have a vision of women drinking in their closets and their kids screaming. And that is, not my wish on any woman. Yeah. Right. So that was why I embraced this time to come out and say, you know, you don't have to drink. You can live a different life there. It is possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that, that clears that up. Yeah. I, I was mm -hmm. just curious. That's always, it's always fascinating to me. Um, and I go, I go in waves, right? Uh, it's nice to be the person that people reach out to. Um, but then it's also nice. I mean, for me personally to just be like, I'm not going to like, not drinking today, but I'm also not going to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. As, as and and I don't, identity. yeah, I don't think I carried around like uh, I'm sober, sober, sober. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just, it's just who, it's who I am now. You don't have a facial matter. tattoo. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I could talk to you for another like three hours because now I have a bunch of questions based on <laughs> as a fan of 90s pop culture. Um, yes. I'm, I'm going to turn the recording off and ask you for names of everybody you mentioned. Um, uh -huh. Great. <laughs> oh my God. You're hilarious. But yeah, I, I appreciate the time and, and yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Justin. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with Lane Kennedy. I <laughs> I will be completely transparent. I Googled so many things when I was done talking to Lane because, you know, I don't want to come off as like a, a star fucker, and, but I wanted to know so many things like who was this woman you were in a relationship with? Um, and like she said she had like a guess. I'm telling you, Lane, if you're out there, send me those pictures. I looked for... Uh, Lane as a guest model in the 90s and I, I couldn't find it but that was such a huge fashion campaign I mean every magazine right every Rolling Stone every uh, alternative press all the wonderful 90s late 90s uh, alt magazines as well as uh, your playboys your high fashion like all that stuff had guest ads in it so I uh, I don't think I'll be able to find that but I think I did find the musician. I'm not going to tell you guys who it is, but I'm excited that I think I found it. And I really, I, there was some things that stuck out to me that I think are very interesting. And I, I wonder about these narratives that we tell ourselves about our own story, right? Um, like she spoke about having her father uh, be the one to raise her instead of her mother and that was, I mean, I can tell you as a child of divorce from the eighties, like that was unheard of. Um, but to refer to it as like a landmark case, uh, it's very interesting to me. Uh, I wonder what that looked like in that area at that time, as well as, you know, being essentially by, uh, in the nineties and, and what that looked like as well. And I know that's a term bisexual is a triggering term for a lot of people, but whatever that looks like, there's so many terms now. I took an entire class on it and I'm still confused. Multiple classes. There's a lot going on. Constantly evolving. That's a whole other rabbit hole. Maybe that's what the summer series will be. Each episode will be a different gender or sexual terminology and we'll really break it down. Oh my God, is that an idea? So what happens when I just keep talking? Um, I'm going to think about that. Until then, you guys enjoy the rest of your week. I will talk to you next week as dry January continues. We only have two more guests in this sober world, um, which is not entirely true. I think I just interviewed a sober person that'll be out in like April, but that's neither here nor there. 
this is uh this is specifically themed for you so this is someone in long-term sobriety been sober since 96 uh, so it doesn't even really like enter into it and you can hear in her story it's not it doesn't play as big a role as as you might think um especially like theming these episodes so to speak that's all i got if you like what you hear and you want to support the show please head over to patreon.com slash friend request pod it's just about a dollar a month and really helps me host uh, pay for these hosting fees and all that stuff and i'll be honest with you guys i don't put a lot of stuff out there if you send me a message through there if you're a patreon supporter and you're like i'd like to see x y and z i will do x y and z like pretty much immediately i love meeting those demands there's not a lot of demands out there though so i just kind of put up uh, stuff I think might be interesting and you guys can tell me whether or not it is, but it's only about a dollar a month. So I don't think anyone's losing too much and I appreciate all the support. So thank you for that. Patreon.com slash friend request pod. And I will talk to you guys next week. Okay. I love you. Bye-bye.